0: Russia steps up overnight aerial strikes in Ukraine. The rescue operation is still ongoing, and unfortunately, it could be that some people remain under the rubble. With no end in sight to Russia's war in Ukraine, African leaders are hoping to help create a breakthrough that can end the conflict. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa is leading the delegation, which
1: also includes heads of state from Zambia, the Republic of Congo, Egypt, Senegal, and
0: Uganda. And later in the program, authentic Ukrainian ethnic folk attire is making an appearance on a U.S. runway. Today is Wednesday, June 14th. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening. I'm Lori London in Washington. A Russian missile struck the southern Ukrainian port city of Odessa early Wednesday. As Associated Press correspondent Charles de la Desma reports, Ukraine's military said the attack involved four caliber cruise missiles. Russian forces have fired cruise missiles at the southern Ukrainian city of Odessa overnight and shelling has destroyed homes in the eastern Donetsk region, killing some citizens and injuring many more. A Ukrainian military spokesman says Russia has stepped up aerial strikes in the 15 month war against Ukraine, just as the country's troops have reported limited gains at an early counter-offensive. In the east, Donetsk regional governor Pavlo Kairalenko has written on Telegraph some people died after shelling destroyed seven homes and damaged dozens more in the cities of Kramatorsk and Konstantinovka. I'm Charles de Ledesma. A Ukrainian military spokesman said Russian forces have stepped up aerial attacks, including this latest overnight strike that killed several people in damaged homes, shops and cafes in the cities downtown. I spoke with Anna Ternikova in Kyiv for the very latest update on the attack in Odessa.
2: Was another uh, massive attack, missile and drone attack um, on Ukraine. The areas that suffered the most are areas in the south, east, and central part of the country. Uh, Ukrainian air forces confirmed that in total there were four caliber missiles and ten uh, drones, Shahed drones, used in this attack. Three caliber missiles were destroyed, out of four, and nine uh, drones, out of ten, were also destroyed. However, a direct heat uh, in Odessa was reported, and this direct heat targeted the uh, food warehouse. For the moment, we know about three people killed. All of them are the workers uh, of the warehouse. Uh, also, 13 people were injured. For the moment, we know about that seven of those are the, also the workers of the food warehouse, and another six are those who got injured due to the explosion wave. Uh, the rescue operation is still ongoing going. And unfortunately, it could be that some people remain under the rubble. So we're waiting for the update from the Ukrainian authorities on that. In addition, closer to the morning uh, hours, it was another attack with the use of X-22 missiles. And this attack was targeting uh, Donetsk region, the city of Kramatorsk and Konstantinivka. And here also we have confirmation about three people killed.
0: The attack on Odessa, that is a port city, How significant is that location to to Russia's targeting that specific area?
2: Yes, you're absolutely right. Odessa is the main port city and Odessa is a city that Odessa ports are the ports which are used in this grain deal corridor. And of course, Odessa is a very strategic seaside city in Ukraine, and uh, it it was and remains under very high risks due to Russian attacks. I can also say that Russian forces were not able to get to the city of Odessa from the beginning of full-scale invasion uh, due to the fact that it was not possible for Russian forces to pass through Mykolaiv, region. Uh, but still, attacks are happening quite often in this city. And unfortunately, uh, victims are reported almost every time uh, when attacks are happening.
0: That was Anna Chernikova reporting for VOA from Kiev. Ukraine's deputy defense minister, Hanna Malayer, told VOA that Ukraine is conducting offensive operations in the east and south of the country. Simultaneously, the Russian army is conducting offensive operations, so Ukrainian forces are currently... In the offensive and defensive stages.
3: Uh, nastup, uh, na
4: There's some progress in the Bakhmut direction, but the enemy increased artillery and mortar shelling using aviation, making it challenging to advance. There are some difficult weather conditions as well. However, Ukrainian forces are moving forward step by step. In the last week, Ukrainian forces advanced by 6.5 kilometers in all directions and liberated around 90 square kilometers.
0: U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, while in Wiesbaden, Germany this week, thanked all the coalition troops training for the Ukrainian military and promised continuing U.S. support.
4: This doesn't end when the the fight starts. Our work continues because we have to generate more combat power, train more troops, uh, and make sure that the Ukrainians have what they need to be successful.
0: A senior U.S. defense official said there are currently about 1,700 Ukrainian soldiers being trained right now by U.S. troops. President Joe Biden has called for NATO members to contribute more. The request came Tuesday during a meeting with the Defense Alliance's chief and ahead of a July summit that will be dominated by the conflict in Ukraine and intensifying speculation who will head the 31-member alliance after Chief Jens Stoltenberg steps down as planned later this year. VOA's Anita Powell reports from the White House.
4: President Joe Biden on Tuesday underscored U.S. commitment to supporting Ukraine against Russian aggression, meeting with NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg and announcing $325 million more in military aid, ahead of an annual summit of NATO members in Lithuania's capital in July. Biden praised NATO's work, but also urged its 31 members to do more to meet a 2014 pledge to spend at least 2% of their GDP on defense. We've strengthened NATO's eastern flank, made it clear that we'll defend every inch of NATO territory. I say it again, the commitment of the United States and NATO, so Article 5, is rock solid. And our summit in Lithuania next month, we're gonna be building on that momentum from working to ensure that allies spend enough on the defense, the 2%,
2: not
1: just uh, as a hybrid, that's the
4: bottom line. Stoltenberg, who will leave office later this year, said the July summit will focus on how NATO can step up its support for Ukraine, which has managed to stave off a Russian takeover and recently launched a counteroffensive. The
5: support that uh, we are providing together to Ukraine is now making a difference uh, on the battlefield as we speak, because the offensive is launched and Ukrainians are making progress. uh making advances uh it's still early days uh, but what we do know is that the more land the ukrainians are able to liberate um uh the, the 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 stronger hand they will have at the negotiating
4: table one thing ukraine badly wants
0: i think what is very important our future in eu and and ukraine is ready to be in nato where
4: is unlikely NATO, analysts say Michael Kimmage is a professor at Catholic University and a senior non-resident fellow at the Center for Strategic and International Studies.
5: It's not that the case is closed. There's a lot of enthusiasm for strong NATO support to Ukraine and and perhaps for entry of Ukraine into NATO in the future. Uh, But there's still a lot of boxes that would need to be checked before this becomes a realistic prospect.
4: Stoltenberg has also been making the rounds in Washington, with Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell saying Tuesday that Stoltenberg told him he has invited representatives from non-NATO countries, Japan and South Korea, to the summit in Lithuania. McConnell also said Stoltenberg expects Sweden to formally join the alliance at the July summit. Sweden's entry has been delayed over objections from NATO member Turkey, which has accused Stockholm of not doing enough to crack down on their branch of a political party that Ankara sees as extremists. Kimmich again.
5: Turkey has the chance to hold Sweden to account there, uh, since Sweden would very much like to join the NATO uh, alliance. And I think it's also a bit of a game for Turkey to get, you know, sort of concessions, to get things from the United States, perhaps other members of NATO to sweeten the deal, uh, and to get Turkey to approve NATO membership for uh, for Sweden. So there are a few bona fide issues, and then there's also a little bit of gamesmanship that uh, Ankara is engaging in.
4: NATO watchers say the organization's unity will hinge on a new leader. And on this topic, Washington and Stoltenberg are quiet. Anita Powell, VOA News, the White House.
0: Others have tried and failed, and now six African leaders are heading to Moscow and Kiev in the coming days to try to resolve the Russia-Ukraine conflict. South Africa leading the delegation has been accused of favoring Russia despite its official neutral stance on the war. Kate Bartlett reports from Johannesburg. South African
1: President Cyril Ramaphosa is leading the delegation, which also includes heads of state from Zambia, the Republic of Congo, Egypt, Senegal, and Uganda. The countries have taken different positions on the war, with South Africa, Uganda and the Republic of Congo abstaining from a United Nations resolution earlier this year, condemning Russia's 2022 full-scale invasion and demanding it withdraw its troops. Zambia and Egypt voted in favor of the resolution, while Senegal didn't participate. Ramaphosa's spokesman, Vincent Maguena, said the delegation's trip was imminent, although exact dates were not made public due to security concerns.
2: We are anticipating that, quite imminently, a delegation of African heads of states will head to both Ukraine and Russia,
1: South Africa has been criticized in the West for its warm relations with Moscow, having hosted Russian warships for joint military exercises earlier this year, and last month the U.S. ambassador to South Africa accused the country of having provided arms to Russia. South Africa denies the charge that weapons were secretly loaded onto Russian vessel the Lady R while it was docked in Cape Town last year, but the controversy has strained relations with Washington. A group of U.S. lawmakers raised questions this week on whether South Africa should still be eligible for trade benefits, and top South African business leaders have also warned the country could pay economically for its stance, raising the possibility of sanctions. Stephen Gruzd, an analyst at the South African Institute for International Affairs, says it is hard to predict whether the six-leader mission will make a difference.
6: It might be a way to distract from the Lady R scandal about South Africa allegedly arming Russia on a ship that was loaded at night in secret and the other uh, flack that South Africa has been getting. But I do think it's coming from a genuine place of wanting to make a difference.
1: Russian President Vladimir Putin has welcomed the African leader's mission, as has Ukraine. But in an online news conference last week, Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitry Kuleba warned that some things are non-negotiable.
0: Any peace initiative should respect the territorial integrity of Ukraine. It should not imply, even among, in between the lines, any cessation
4: of Ukrainian territory to Russia. Second, every peace plan should not
1: lead to freezing of the conflict. Ramaphosa is a seasoned negotiator, having been instrumental in talks that ended apartheid. But so far, peace plans proposed by other countries, including China, have failed and critics are skeptical the African leader's mission will achieve much. Meanwhile, the South African government is still mulling over what to do about the upcoming summit of the BRICS Group of Emerging Nations in Johannesburg, which Putin has been invited to attend, with a warrant from the International Criminal Court out against the Russian leader, South Africa would be obliged to arrest him. And there are reports the country is looking for a way out through a legislative amendment to their ICC agreement. South Africa has denied speculation it is considering moving the summit entirely. Kate Bartlett for VOA News Johannesburg.
0: You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Laurie London. Driven largely by the war in Ukraine, the U.N. Refugee Agency says forced displacement hit a record high last year, with more than 110 million people forced from their homes across the world. For VOA, Lisa Bacaletz reports from Warsaw.
3: War, persecution, violence and human rights abuses – these are the main reasons why people had to flee their homes. According to the UN Refugee Agency, the number of displaced persons in 2022 stood at a record 110 million.
4: You may recall just a couple of years ago, or maybe last year, when we announced that for the first time we had gone over 100 million uh, displaced people, well, already 10% more have been added to this figure.
3: The report says the war in Ukraine was the top driver of displacement in 2022
7: last year the, the number of people who were forced to flee Ukraine was 5.7 million. It was the fastest growing refugee crisis that we had seen since World War II. The vast
3: majority of Ukrainian refugees are in Europe, especially in Poland. The European Union activated the Temporary Protection Directive in March 2022, which allows Ukrainians to stay and work in Europe. According to estimates of the Ministry of Social Policy of Poland, about 1.4 million Ukrainian citizens received temporary protection status, and about 900,000 of these have found a job as of February-March of this year. Many Ukrainian refugees have a high level of education and that has helped many of them land good jobs in Europe the percentage of ukrainian
4: refugees with a university degree is very high and this gives them an advantage in adapting to the eu labor market also they most likely know english or other
3: foreign languages but even though ukrainians are welcomed in europe the united states and canada some still face many challenges
7: the majority of the refugees fleeing ukraine are are women and children so even Things as simple as accessing childcare to enable women to work. This is a huge um, obstacle that, that a lot of people are facing.
3: A survey by the Ukrainian Center for Economic Strategy says Ukrainian refugees are also suffering income losses.
4: 42% of Ukrainians had enough money only for food. Are not enough even for food.
3: According to the UN, more than 70% of Ukrainian refugees want to return home when the war ends. For many, it's important that Ukraine have European Union and NATO memberships. Ukrainians want to be sure the war situation doesn't happen again. Before the Syrian war in 2011, there were about 40 million refugees and internally displaced people globally. The UN report says that since then the number has more than doubled for Railway
0: News, Warsaw. As we reported earlier this week, the World Health Organization is warning that tens of thousands of people are at risk of significant physical and mental health problems. Following the devastating destruction of the Kohovka Dam in Ukraine, I spoke with Alexandra Kozlovska, Ukraine country director for nonprofit health and medical support organization MedGlobal, for an update on the situation.
5: A lot of people, they are injured during the evacuation because Russian troops they attack with their missiles during the evacuation the boats and the evacuation teams and why is the mental health crisis because people they lost everything that they had their houses their work their families their pets and unfortunately they became an idps and they need to find a new house and to start their lives from the new page and it is very difficult mentally for these people this territory was previously occupied by Russia and there was deliberated by Russian arm- uh, by Ukrainian armed forces uh, not a long time ago and they were suffered from Russian uh, occupation and now they are suffered
0: from this uh, disaster probably unlivable in most places and I, I know there are also concerns about waterborne diseases and food illnesses yes there are several
5: concerns by minister of health and also by by centers of control of the infection diseases here in Ukraine, uh, and they collect samples of water. Unfortunately, now there is uh, a challenge with drinking water on their territories, and uh, government and also uh, NGOs volunteers provide special uh, medications for uh, and special equipment for purifying water. And we, as MedGlobal, uh, we started a fundraising campaign and we are collecting donations uh, to procure uh, purifying stations and we would like to install them at the hospitals in that areas and also in uh, some public places of the communities according to official government officials of Ukraine there were no cholera cases just for now but they, uh, they prepared for it and they have special medications and special medical teams there to provide medical services in any case. global is preparing now for this response and for donation of necessary medications and also for necessary equipment to purify water and
0: to provide people with drinking water. So that would be the main issue is right now for health, the drinking water.
5: Yes, sure. It's drinking drinking water, yeah. We cooperate with our partners, also U.S.-based organizations, and they have their medical team on the ground and we support them. What
0: is MedGlobal's main goal for serving in Ukraine during this war and the invasion and all that follows it?
5: We started to operate in Ukraine just in two weeks after the full invasion and the full war started last year. And we provide in-kind donations for vulnerable peoples and also for injured people and trainings like ultrasound, surgical trauma trainings, chemical weapons training, and others uh, for Ukrainian doctors and nurses and also our US volunteers come to Ukraine uh, for training of Ukrainian medicals. So when it was problems with electricity consumption here in Ukraine uh, we provide thermal clothes for uh, fifteen thousands uh, of ambulance team workers here in Ukraine. In our plans there are a launching of mobile clinics projects in Donetsk. Region and also, also in Kharkiv region, close to front lines and on the deoccupied territories, where there is no access or there is limited access to healthcare services for that people that live in that areas.
0: Alexandra Kozlovska, country director for medical and health support nonprofit MedGlobal. Authentic Ukrainian ethnic folk attire made a recent appearance on a runway at the Metropolitan Fashion Week, Seattle. Not- Moscovaya has the story. When
6: thinking of fashion, Washington State, with its big tech companies and outdoor lovers, is not the first one that comes to mind. Yet, in its 11th season, Seattle's Fashion Week emphasized sustainability and its vibrant diaspora communities' culture.
3: Metropolitan Fashion Week, just like Microsoft, Amazon, Cask and Starbucks was founded in Seattle. We have designers creating high fashion masterpieces inspired from sustainable uh, stuff. And I'll give you an example. This one dress is made with 6,000 straws because that's how many straws we throw away in one minute in the US.
6: A special entrant this year was a collection of vintage Ukrainian folk costumes featuring traditional clothes from several regions of the country.
1: Some of these pieces are 200 years old, so it feels very special to, to wear it.
6: Tanya Zaika, originally from Kiev, has been living in the United States for 30 years. A FinTech account executive, she dedicates her spare time to humanitarian projects.
2: What we're trying to bring to
1: our audience today is um, most of them are seeing horrible images of war uh, that uh, Russia brought to Ukraine and we all saw de- the devastation but we also would like to show you the other side of Ukrainian people the happy the beautiful the passionate rich culture rich happy people that we are during the times of peace.
6: Curator of the Ukrainian clothing is Seattle artist and movie maker Zemka, leader of a
7: local Belarusian folk group when the war in Ukraine started, I just felt compelled that we needed to support Ukraine, Ukrainian people. By um, the beginning of the last year, I had two full sets of Ukrainian costumes. Uh, When I found out that my friends in Seattle wanted to do a Veshevanka day, I offered them my authentic Ukrainian costumes, a
6: Veshevanka day is a holiday with a goal of preserving Ukrainian folk traditions and includes creating or wearing ethnic embroidered clothes called Veshevankas. Dzemka has been carefully restoring the costumes, spending hours matching era-appropriate fabrics and elements. The collection now has 26 pieces.
7: This costume is from Poltava region, and this is the uh, festive costume or holiday costume um, for the married woman. And how do we know that? The whole entire head is covered, and then when it's a girl or a married woman or bride-to-be, of course there is going to be a super huge, absolutely fantastic Ukrainian headdresses that we all absolutely adore.
6: Some elements remain relevant in today's fashion, says Zemka. Take the dukach a
7: traditional coin pendant. Ukrainian fashionistas really love it. And I think it's their kind of statement that this is Ukrainian necklace, I'm Ukrainian, and I wear it with pride.
6: Zemka admits that collecting traditional clothing is an endless journey and hopes that one day the collection will find its place in a museum of Ukrainian culture.
0: Natasha Mozgovaya, VOA News, Seattle, Washington. And that'll do it for us today. Stay up to date with continuing coverage on Ukraine and news from around the world 24 hours a day at voanews.com. And on social media, just follow VOA News on behalf of the entire Flashpoint Ukraine thanks so much for listening until next time i'm VOA's Lori London
4: this is the voice of America, Washington Bam Bambo Z DC.